0: Keep it real, keep it real, keep it real. This is your host, Winnie Brown, saying somebody had to hear this today. So I had to come out here today and explain how Empowerment for Hope came to be. So in order for me to do that, you probably say, well, Wendolin, how how did that come to be, you know? And I'm gonna tell you a little story I'm not going to jump into all the gory, gory, gory details, but just enough so you can understand um, why Empowerment for Hope means so much to me. So um, as a child growing up, um, I went through a lot of child sexual abuse. Um, by the time um, I was 13, um, I was experienced my first sexual abuse by uh, a family member. And, you know, you probably wonder, like, oh, my God, like, did anybody know? You know, no, nobody knew. Like, from the age of 7 to 10, I went through this child sexual abuse and nobody did know. And I literally held it in. And when it repeated itself um, with my cousin doing the sexual assault, I obviously I didn't say anything. I just kept that in also, you know, and as a young child and, and as a teenager, you don't. You know, somebody telling you not to say anything is one thing. And then, you know, who's going to believe you is something that I struggled with. And also, you know, I I was too ashamed to tell. So by the time I turned 15, I was being groomed into um, sex trafficking. And I didn't even understand that I was being groomed. So you're probably wondering, like, oh, my God, like, how did that happen? So... I, by the time I was uh, into grade seven, um, I was 15 going into 16, and that's when I met my trafficker. And he, um, for those, for that, those months between 15 going into 16, like, he really took time out to try to talk to me. And, you know, I didn't have a clue, honest to God, what was going on in life because, You know, I grew up without my, you know, without my dad after a while when my parents split because of, you know, the things that was going on between them. So, you know, I, you know, I used to tell him, you know, my personal business from home and he understood that I didn't have a dad. And, um, you know, my mother was very strict. So, um, you know, you could tell that I was in that rebellious stage and I was. So from the time I was in grade seven, before I even grade eight. Um, even before I got to grade nine, this man worked with me and he worked with me. And, um, when he did, like, I understand now the way that he groomed me, like some people probably would think like, wow, it was McDonald's food, but he used to go and bring me McDonald's food. And I used to be so proud because in my mind as a 15, 16 year old young girl, I, you know, that's my boyfriend. And that's what I thought that he was my boyfriend. He was 25 years old at the time. And honest to goodness, you know, keeping it real, I really loved this guy. I, I, I truly believe that I was in love as, as much as I could be in love as a young as a young teenager. And that was how he used those vulnerabilities to be able to groom me, to get me um into literally having sex, um, with different men. And, you know, by the time I, you know, I even get to, um, coming into, coming to high school, this is when he really started wanting me to have sex with men. And I, uh, I, you know, I, I just couldn't understand, like, why is this guy making me have sex with all these different men? But the way he used to manipulate me, he used to have other women around, and, you know, and I would hear him having sex with these other women, and I would feel really messed up. I would feel jealous, you know, oh my God, I don't even remember, I don't even think I ever admitted that before, but yeah, I used to feel jealous. As a lo- young kid, I was jealous, and, um, and that was his way of manipulating me. That was his way of maintaining that control over me to do what he wanted me to do, and I had sex with men for for money. Um, I did what he asked me to do. When uh, he did have me with him away from my family, and I used to have to go through sodomy, I went through every other day. Um, gain rape, and you know there was times that you know when that wasn't good enough. You know he started. Um, doing the bestiality. So, you know, you probably think, holy shit, Wendelin, how the hell did you go through that as a young kid? I don't know. But I went through it. I, he had me with him for that period of time. And what could I do? I couldn't go home. And to go home with to go home to the shame, um, being with him was just like, oh my God, even, you know, it's so weird because even though I went through all that stuff with him and I was going through that and he was letting these men, you know, tear my ass apart and do the things that they were doing to me, you know, I still, a part of me as a kid still loved him. And I, I all I wanted him to do, I think, uh, you know, I even thought about this for quite some time, is I think a part of me still wanted him to protect me. And, you know, because... You know, even sitting here thinking about it, I I remember like he used to do those things to me. You know, gang rape me, initiate it, and disorder me and stuff. And and as painful and, and degrading and it, as it was, I was how can I say it? I I felt um, I guess the word I'm trying to say is comfortable with him doing it to me than all these other men because I guess because I was everything with me was based on emotion and. I remember the day that the police officers come to the house looking for me because my parents were looking for me. Somebody was looking for me. And, oh my God, I will never forget the day, that day, how they, he made me drink this tea. And because of that, it caused me to become numb. And I remember, um... I couldn't move my body. I could hear everything that was going on, and I could understand everything that was going on. And I remember him taking me and putting me down on the floor in the back of the kitchen by the bathroom, underneath the floorboards. And um, I remember hearing the police officers come to the door, uh, and I remember him giving them permission to come in and look. And, you know, um, I'll never forget the weight of the feet of those police officers when they walked through that kitchen like standing on my chest while I was underneath that floor and nobody helped me nobody knew I was there you know and in my mind you know I'm screaming like somebody saved me can't you see me and uh, to this day I'll never understand why they didn't bring that dog in the house <laughs> I'll never understand that like that probably would have saved my life but because of that happening You know, these guys made plans to um, take off and go away to Ontario and Montreal. And I was so afraid because I've never, like, truly been away from home before. And I didn't want to leave my family. Like, I knew if I went home, I probably would be in trouble, you know, because, you know, I'm gone with this guy. And, you know, I am... I remember you know, thinking in my head, oh, my God, like, I'm never going to see my family again of these guys if I leave. I'm never going to see my family. And I remember this guy saying to me one day, you know, if you want to go home, you got to help me get another girl. And I, um, we literally drove into Sackville, and I remember driving down Sackville Drive, and... Um, We see this, he sees a girl, he points her out, and he says, I want you to go and get her and get her to get in the car. And, you know, I remember driving up beside her and, you know, trying to talk to her out the window and convince her to get in the car. And finally, I did convince her to get in the car. And we waited, we got over Dark Myth, and then they switched and put me... Put me, in the, put me in the back and put the girl in the front so that she couldn't get out. And when we got back to the place, I really thought that they were gonna let me go. And that didn't happen. And I remember listening to that girl, the screams that she went through, the words that I remember hearing her say, and um, she was so angry with me for bringing her there and setting her, her up. And, you know, and to this day, I, when I think about that, uh, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened to her, honest to God. I'm glad that she and I do have sort of a um, an acquaintance relationship. And, you know, she doesn't hold that against me because I struggled with that for quite some time because I know what she went through is the same thing that I went through. And we went through a lot together because we never did get to go until the police ended up finding me. And. We were able to, you know, go our separate ways and go to our, you know, respectable homes. But, you know, when I think about how he manipulated me to the point that he used me to get somebody else's child, you know, it makes me realize that this is a meticulous, well sought out, well put together um, organization. And it's just not with one person. Sex trafficking, human trafficking is a (laughs) multi-billion-dollar, friggin' industry every year, and so many of us, as as young people, especially those that are BIPOC and that identify as transgender, are so easily targeted um, for sex trafficking because we are the most vulnerable. And you know, I didn't understand anything honest to God. I really didn't because my life was just like, go to school, go to church and come home. And I just, you know, even with my, even with my own parents, you know, my mom used to say to me, you know, you stay away from them boys and they're no good. And, you know, and that was how we used to talk about this stuff 30 years ago. Like, you know, they're, you know, they're they're not worth it. And, you know, make sure that, you know, you're not around these men. And, you know, I wish that Hearing that, hearing you know, hearing my mom say that, you know, I just think to myself, yeah, okay, mom, whatever. You know, you're just saying that because you don't want me to have a boyfriend. And that's how I was feeling because I was struggling with my weight and my looks. So um, once I got away from my trafficker and um, years later, you know, I had kids and this same man showed up at my house And actually, he went to the wrong house. And because he went to the wrong house, he ended up sexually assaulting me. And that caused me to do my first suicide attempt. And I I remember after I took the pills and and I could feel myself, you know, like kind of like, I swear to God, you can literally feel yourself going out when you're doing this. And I wrote my parents a 13-page suicide letter because, you know, and look after my kids, you know, everything, because I was screwed up. From that, it caused me to reflect back to when he had me years prior with, you know, the human trafficking. And because of that suicide attempt, I ended up in the hospital. I ended up, uh, through therapy, I had to tell what happened to me. And that brought up the human trafficking side. He did go to court. We went through all that bullshit. And he only ended up getting a two-year sentence. He did four months. He was out. The other man that was involved in the sexual assault, honest to God, he had the audacity to take it to Supreme Court. And (laughs) the audacity to go before you know this judge and you know what hurt me the most was to the judge to find him guilty but allow him to do the time in the community because he didn't feel that he would be a threat to myself or anybody else because why he didn't he didn't commit a crime in over 25 years so that means here I am 54 years old and I'm still on a healing journey I will still you know I see a therapist so that you know, I can keep my mind straight, and especially um, with the work that I'm involved in, um, that deals with human trafficking, sexualized violence, and any violence really against women and children. So I, I deal with a lot. I hear a lot. So I do therapy myself to keep my head straight. But you know, going through this uh, sexual assault stuff and the human trafficking, it made me want to um, help people, you know, after I came out of that, that lifestyle, I fell into a 12 year drug addiction, you know, forced suicide attempts. And honest to God, I ain't lying. I thought the last time that I had it right, because I really wanted to die that day. I truly wanted to die. And, you know, even talking about that, I remember, that day I screwed up because I was already on a high and on a on a coke crack run for days. And I was up for days. And I made a mistake and put more cocaine in the needle than the heroin. And the adrenaline kept me alive until I could get to the hospital to be truthful. So I am thankful that I'm alive. Thank God. You know, and even in the midst of all that bullshit, um, honestly, you know, I think about that like when I woke up from being passed out and seeing that I was half dressed like even now I sit here I'm I'm, I'm smiling because it, it just amazes me how people will just do anything and they just don't care and how men will take it upon themselves to to violate women without no regard to how she's going to feel. And again, I'm going to bring up the fact here I am, 54 years old and still on a healing journey where I'm going to have to be for quite some time. And, you know, um, through all of that, um, I decided after I got my head together and I went into a treatment facility um, cause for years I sexually exploited myself to keep my drug addiction going. I became homeless and was homeless for over a two year period. Like I struggled from Nova Scotia homeless all the way to Ontario. And, you know, I had to learn to fend for myself in minus 34 weather. And, you know, from all of that, doing what I had to do to keep a roof over my head. And I did some low down ass stuff for drugs, you know, I sold my body for drugs. I did whatever I had to do to stay high because that's how I felt that I had to survive. You know, I didn't have no kids and only within the past six, seven years, I'm kind of formulating a a relationship with my children. And, you know, and, and that's even a big part of my therapy because, you know, I left these kids. I wasn't there for my children like that. And even though I tried, I just couldn't, but that'll be another time for that story too. But, you know, I, um, I come through all, all of that to get to a place where I, I wanted to have a business or I wanted to find myself helping people. And I didn't understand how to do that. And, um, but I knew I wanted to help young people or women that were involved in, human trafficking or sex trafficking, or the risk was there. I knew that. And one day during the COVID, honest to God, <laughs> I happened to see this woman through Black Woman in Excellence, Tia Upshaw, And of course, I went creeping and paying attention to what she was up to. And when I realized she was trying to help black women start business, I was like, "Okay, let me just see where this is going to go. And the next thing I know, like um, she had a beer launch. I went and I knew who she was. And then but I got a chance to finally meet her. And I said to her, you know, I said, "Um, I'm a survivor of sex trafficking. And she asked me my age. And when I told her, she was like, oh, wow, Wendelin. And back then I was like 52. So I finally, you know, I said to her, I wanted to, you know, start a business that's going to help people that are involved in human trafficking. And I remember she got up, she looked at me, she got up, she walked away. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, wow, what an ignorant woman. But she came back and she said, Wendolyn, you know something? Just do it. Don't worry about funding. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about no money. Just do it. You have nothing to lose, but everything to gain. And it was from that moment that I started working towards um, having a, a business, a reality. So I, because this is my first business, I didn't know too much. I had to learn about you know, the nonprofit structure and everything that went behind formulating a board, and that took me some time because I didn't have a clue. But here I am. I have a business, a nonprofit organization called Empowerment for Hope, and and our whole idea with Empowerment for Hope is trying to break the cycle of violence, abuse, and trauma in families by breaking down the walls of silence on sex trafficking and giving families and children the resources they need through empowerment. And by doing that, I have partnered with, you know, some organizations in the community, and one of them is s and Counseling. i always be grateful to Stacey Darku for this um, because there's so many... Women who have come to me and, you know, I didn't have a safe place for them. I had a safe place to speak, but I didn't have a safe place where they could leave um, their trafficker or they could leave from where they're being abused. And, you know, even though I offer them other resources in the community that have been here before me, this is where the barrier. And I'm so happy that Empowerment for Hope is here because there's so many barriers with black women and indigenous women and BIPOC women, period. Coming from rural, marginalized, and province communities where we don't have, when we don't have the same black face in front of you to to, to be able to help you get through something, it's kind of hard to try to talk to someone of another race. You know, it, it, for me, I had no choice to talk to somebody of another race because there wasn't no black counselors there for me to sit down and bear my soul. As today, I have a black counselor. So, I I'm happy for that. So this is where empowerment for Com- empowerment for hope comes in and bridges the gap where those barriers that affecting our daily lives and our relationships where we're into these unhealthy relationships and we even as as adults like I always wonder do we even know what what consent is? Do we really consent especially women who are married or in long-term relationships? like do you even understand um, consent in that you it's your right, It's your voice, your choice like you know And like when I when I think about um, now that I'm involved with, um, taking a program that's going to certify me as a child and youth care practitioner here in Nova Scotia. I'm doing this so that I can be the frontline worker to those young girls or those transgender um, persons who are involved in human trafficking or been already sexualized um, through some sexualized violence. And knowing, knowing what a lot of these young kids have gone through growing up, I get it. Honest to God, I truly do. And, you know, I don't want to see somebody else waiting until they're 45 years old or 35 years old before they decide they want to go get help and be able to sit and talk to somebody um, through Empowerment for Hope. And me being the bridge that's going to, or that's going to bridge that gap where we can get some mental health, um, help, some help with addictions and some trauma, you know, because my God, like holding on to trauma is, is exhausting. It's been exhausting for me. Like even, even now talking about it, it makes me emotional because Everybody else has kind of gone on with their life, and I'm still grasping to stay above water to keep my mind focused on what I'm doing, because how can I help somebody else if, you know, you probably think, like, how the hell is she going to help somebody, and she breaks down crying, or she's... um, um, you know she's not healed. I heal by helping people. I'm not crying because I've touched on a a, a part of the story that's that's horrific and it bothers me. What bothers me is that um, I'm talking and and I know that right now somebody else has been sexually assaulted. I know right now somebody's being groomed and lured and coerced into human trafficking. And you know what bothers me is having this organization and sometimes i get into a mindset where i'm thinking oh my god what else can i be doing like am i doing enough you know when i look in the papers and i see these cases with the human trafficking it it kills me like how is that happening right underneath our nose and nobody is saying anything you know i am not going to be that one that's going to be keeping quiet i'm not here to call names and throw anybody to the police that's not my gig i'm here to make sure that those that are less vulnerable literally get a chance to be able to live, you know. And honest to God, like uh, a message out there to, the, to to you guys that are out there pimping out these girls, grow up, get a life, and literally go get a job and go look after yourself. Like, can you imagine these uh, a, a lot? I was talking to somebody, here, it's so funny, and this young, you know, this young girl said to me, "It's so funny how these men who." don't have no education, probably can't even spell the word pimp, become the CEOs of our life. How does that happen? Because of the organization that they're under. And it's because of um, year after year, you you learn things a little better. What happened to him and he ended up going to jail is not going to happen to Bill because he's going to make sure that he's not gonna get caught like that and he's gonna make sure he keeps his women in line. And, you know, I when I go around to schools and I'm and I'm speaking to these kids in school, honestly, like I really, really implore them to pay attention and to not to like to get caught up in in thinking that you know, every time a man tee he- hees in your face, it's, it, it's, it's for good. Like, you know, when these guys come in, they want to take you out. They want to do your hair. They want to buy you new phones and clothes and get, you know, your nails done and your feet done. It comes with a price. It literally comes with a price. They're not doing it for naught. And it doesn't matter if they do this for months on months on months and put you into... That mindset, and then you're complacent believing, you know, that's my man, and he's doing this and because that's how they work. That's what they do. You will never, ever be pimped out by someone you don't know. It's always going to be somebody that you do know. And for us as... Um, caregivers for us as frontline people, for us as business people out in this world. I wish that all organizations would jump on board, honest to God, and get some human trafficking like training so that you could know that like, you know, you could be at a convention. Oh my God, that I remember in my training, that person looks looks like, you know, and the signs would be there. And you know, what what bothers me also is we have Organizations here in this province and even in this city, and I don't understand why we can't come together, honest to God, all of us, and work together for the for the common good of helping our young people. Because they are the ones that are slipping through the crack. I'm, you know, I'm scared to even think like how things are going to progress if the unreported cases of human trafficking still fall to the side. Because now we got more damaged kids, now we got more damaged youth, now we got more damaged women, and it's going to keep falling, funneling down into a generational curse and generational trauma and that's where that slave mentality of complacency comes where you have that slave trauma from that goes way back to my forefathers. so I want to be able to honestly through empowerment for hope to be that person that I didn't have and I'm going to be that person as long as there's human trafficking domestic violence sexualized violence going on amongst women and in our communities I ain't going nowhere and I will be that voice for the people that can't speak up for themselves you know um you probably say wow like you know like what are you what are you doing like what are you going to be doing like what do you have going on and I'm going to be starting a cohort soon, and it's going to be once a month. And it's going to be the Empowerment for Hope support group cohort, where we're just going to come together every month, and we're going to um, talk about healthy relationships, and whether it's within our families, we're going to touch on consent and human trafficking, gender-based violence, and also um, sometimes we will do healing through art, etc. And... I wanna be able to give the women of my community, my black women from my community, a chance to be able to come into a place where they will be heard, they will be feel safe, and that they can literally be able to talk about the things that are affecting their life, the barriers that are causing them to have unhealthy relationships and within their families and their spouses and even why it can reflect and fall into their workplace and those are the things that we're going to be talking into that cohort. You know, I I've, I didn't think that I would be this far in what I'm doing with Empowerment for Hope. Uh, honestly, I, you know, I, I finally got funding from three different funding streams, thank God. And I, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen really fast. But I'm, I'm happy because everything now is kind of moving kind of fast for me. And, um... Through 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 this funding, I'm going to be able to offer women free mental health services through my partnership with SNM Counseling. And a lot of it will really be able to dig down deep into some of the trauma that these women have went through in their life. So I'm very excited about that. I also am proud to be have this Keep It Real podcast. Now let me tell you about that. Like when it came to me coming and having the podcast. It took months of me finally getting here, but I'm here and I want to thank Israel for like putting that idea, like pushing that idea, I should say, into my head because that I would always want to have a podcast, but I didn't know how to go about it. But here I am. So thankfully this this is like yeah. And this is going to help people, I want people to go back and, and listen to this and reflect on the stuff that I'm saying because it's going to be very educational. And a lot of it is stuff that you need to know to be aware. And some of it will be stuff that you need to know to save yourself, like stuff to be able to save your children, you know, to pay attention. And another big milestone, I've been nominated officially as um, one of the Black women in business to look for for 2023. So I will be going to Ontario in October. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy to the Black Pearls Gala. And yeah, like this, like I this is stuff that I used to like watch on TV. Like who would have thought that I would be doing stuff like that? Wendolyn Brown, honest to God, it's like I am very happy, very happy for where I am with this business. And honestly, you know, despite all the stuff that I went through. And all the bad stuff and all the mess ups that I did over time with my life and how I screwed up with my children. And, you know, I'm thankful that I at least I'm trying to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to fix me and then we can fix each other. And, you know, and I'm so grateful that my children even you know, are giving me a chance to mend the things that I have broken. And I'm big enough to say that I broke a lot of stuff because I wasn't worth a damn as a mother for these children. So I think I'm thankful for my mom, who literally was retired and came out of her retirement to look after my children. And honest to God, my mother's in her late 70s. My dad is close to 90. And up until today, these kids still depend on my parents for stuff. They still call nanny and pappy. So, I like I'm 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 happy for those type of things and you know um I'm glad that you know I'm I'm a bit educated now on the human trafficking and this, what to look for and so that you know my granddaughters that are growing up I can be paying attention and I am paying attention trust me so that they don't fall through the cracks. Um I want to say like this journey hasn't been easy. It really hasn't. Um, I went through so much. And one of the biggest things that I struggled with was, was having funding and where to get funding from. And, you know, and applying for funding and not getting it and then being disappointed. And, you know, I because I, I do a lot in believing and putting my trust in God, I know that I wouldn't even be where I am today if it hadn't been for God. I know I wouldn't even be alive if it hadn't been for God's mercy, you know, because I tried to take my life, and I thought that I succeeded, but somebody found me in time, thankfully. So now I want to be able to give back to my community in in such a way that, you know, I leave a legacy behind. I want people to remember me as... Um, you know, like, keeping it real, That was that's one of my things. But, like, somebody that came out of here and took all her hurt and her pain, and she turned it around and for good. And what the devil made, tried to make for evil. God did turn it around and make it for good. And I just want to be able to give back to my community. I always say that if one person is reached through my testimony, then I know that everything that I have went through has not been in vain. So, um... If you want to reach out to me, um, talk to me in regards to, doesn't have to be just human trafficking, but you just want to talk, um, you can find me at empowermentforhope at gmail.com or on all social media platforms at Empowerment for Hope. This is your host, Winnie Brown, saying, God bless your day, whether it's at home, work, or play, and you know what I'm going to say next. If it's not real, it's not true. And if it's not true, it can't be real. This isn't goodbye. This is so long. Till next time, I'm out.